William, thanks for coming on the podcast. I think we're going to have a really good time chatting today. Yeah, really excited. Thanks for having me. Let's start high level. Uh, just explain what Bidnamic is and how you started it. From there, we can get into all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, uh, we're specialists at a marketing channel used by e-commerce retailers called Google Shopping. So I'm sure you've seen it as a shopper. You've gone to Google, typed in, I don't know, some sneakers you're looking for. Bootcut jeans. There you go. Bootcut jeans, right? You type it into Google, you'll see a carousel of adverts come up. Typically about five, five product tiles that come up, little image, price underneath it. And, and as soon as you click on one of those tiles or one of those ads, it's going to take you through to the e-commerce store's website and it's going to cost the retailer money. And that could be a few pennies, a few cents, or it could be dollars and dollars, could even be hundreds of dollars. And we're the company that support e-commerce retailers to work out exactly how much to pay for that click, to make a profit, to win a customer, and to avoid overpaying, to wasting their advertising budget on clicks and traffic, which doesn't convert and lead to sales. Um, and to do that in a profitable way. So we support now hundreds of e-commerce retailers. We've got offices in the UK in Leeds and Austin in Texas. And um, yeah, it's been a really exciting journey in terms of how we got started. We actually kind of uh, it scratched our own itch. So I built and scaled an e-commerce business. We took uh, investment into that business, which was an e-commerce marketplace. So we were all about around the uh, traffic acquisition, getting the, the customers to the website, getting the sales, all that kind of arbitrage uh, piece. My co-founder has a PhD in maths, so I was able to really dig, dig deep on all those numbers and metrics, and, and we were supported by a host of engineers and software engineers to really uh, start to build out systems and technologies. And um, we basically found that there was this one channel that was scaling our business, which was a print-on-demand e-commerce marketplace, and, uh, and that channel was Google Shopping. So over the course of many years, four or five years, we built our own technology uh, for, for getting really good at optimizing and winning and buying the right clicks at the right price to make a profit. And then eventually with some of our angel investors, um, namely um, Marin Mayer, who's the co-founder of Booking.com, very popular uh, travel site, said, hey, look, I want to use this for my, my portfolio of companies. How can, I, uh, how can I do that? And kind of pushed us into, into an area where we were a bit, bit, bit out of our depth as we'd always been in, uh, in you know, scaling e-commerce for, our own, for our, own, our own profits, for our own focus. And instead, we, we moved into a, a software as a service business. And that was about four years ago. And now we're a team of 140 uh, in the business, got the two offices and, and supporting now hundreds of fast growth e-commerce businesses to better at, at Google shopping, at optimizing that and increasing their profitability or growth within that channel. I, I love the stories that are effectively an internal tool, an internal tool that just spun out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of a great way to find a business opportunity because, you know, we never set up to, to do this. You know, we didn't think, oh, we'd love to do this. We just used the technologies and there were some great ones existing. And then we found there was little gaps, little you know, next levels that were missing. And then we thought, right, right, we're going to build those pieces to ourselves. And, and then you know, just kind of went from there over, over years of, of we ended up you know, itching our own, you know, scratching our own itch to, uh, to find actually we've got a, a product. And I think what was also interesting from an entrepreneurial perspective was we never thought that this would be anywhere as big as it was. We thought we were the outliers that we were getting so much traffic and so much sales and so much revenue from this channel of Google Shopping. But we thought it was, you know, our our business that was able to do that rather than the opportunity within the market. So as we went out and, uh, and realized, actually, this isn't an issue just for us. This is a real problem for, for businesses that are paying too much for clicks and not showing up on that carousel, that their competitors are taking those spots away from them and that visibility away from them. And we realized, actually, this is a really big, big challenge and a really complex challenge 
just a bit like we were talking before the show, you were saying, you know, all the challenges you help uh, people with, that it's not in their wheelhouse. It's not their, it's not their passion. They didn't set up uh, an e-commerce business to get really good at traffic acquisition and all these little knobs and levers you can pull. And that's, that's kind of our passion. So it's really complementary to, to be able to work with, um, you know, fast growth uh, e-commerce founders and, and uh, teams to, to bring that to them as, a, as an advantage. Yeah, I'd say your average e-com team probably doesn't have any math PhDs on, uh, oh. on staff, uh, you know, is kind of how I think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, we've got far too many. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. At, at present, is it a completely self-service service or is there some level of like strategy and planning and intervention when a brand comes to you? Yeah, so it's actually um, a fully managed solution. So and it's quite interesting how we kind of went for that. So the software is fully automated. It, it looks after itself, uh, uses AI to make many, many predictions, to crunch massive amounts of data, such as every search term that's coming in behind every click, the revenue, the profit that's resulting in. So massive, you know, massive data, which is being crunched independent based on algorithms and, and, and technology. Actually, the interface we found was, was a, being a fully managed solution was actually what customers wanted. They wanted to be able to to speak to somebody, to have half an hour, an hour a week, or every other week to uh, to speak to speak to someone on our team who can guide them, help them understand the the not the data, what they're looking at. They can feed in their insights and their their knowledge of their business, and have someone who can just pick that up and and and, and run with that. And we naively, I think, uh, thought, well, actually, this is, you know, we're going to know everything. We're going to be able to optimize. We don't need the, you know, the involvement of somebody. We're going to be able to just, just know this. This machine's going to make the, the, the perfect prediction every time. And then we realized in e-commerce and in, in retail in general, there is so many pieces of information that we just don't know, you know, that nobody knows, such as that the next product, new version of whatever product it is, is going to launch tomorrow and that they've got a lot of stock of, of the old version. An old version is suddenly going to be discounted because a new version's come in. That's going to impact the profitability. So instead, by having the conversation with someone, we can get ahead of time. We can collectively tap into their knowledge of the business, of their market, of their customers, of their competitors, and craft a strategy based on data that can then be executed by the technology itself. Did you at any point launch with a just total self-service option and didn't like work as well? Like, How did you come to these conclusions? Yeah. So it was really, um, as we were onboarding customers, we, we just kind of knew that there was this, there was this knowledge gap, both of, of, from our side of their business and their market. And also, yeah, that, that the complexity of the data would have been very, very difficult to create a front, front end. And we would have had to dumb down that, the decision making that could happen to have it, to be able to have it a, a point and click from somebody logging in. And I guess our, our fundamental thing was if we know the right action. If we know that if we collectively establish the strategy and decide the right strategy with their input and our input, uh, and we set the strategy, that shouldn't change too often. So that's the strategy. But then the execution shouldn't need somebody to log in to press the button if we have the 99% certainty clicking that button was the right thing to do. So instead, that's uh, having that button needing to be clicked by someone logging in and doing it themselves, she creates friction and it slows down the performance we could deliver. So that was quite an early decision to say, actually, let's use, you know, a, a human front end. Uh, we have obviously dashboards and reporting and, and those types of things they can log in and view and, 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 and analyze. But in terms of the complex execution of the, um, of the bidding on, on the, on the Google shopping, and that's all driven from 
from what we have there. How much has that matured in the past five years and changed the actual like sophistication or philosophy around changing bidding strategies to perform better? Yeah, see, massively is the, is the honest answer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we started out with, um, we've, we've always had a kind of a conviction that every single product in a retailer's catalog, so let's imagine that we go into a store, they might have 8,000 products. So those jeans you, me- you mentioned before, they might be in, they'll be available in different sizes, different legs, different waists. So maybe different colorways as well. So every single product will convert differently. And by convert, I mean, when someone clicks from the ad, the, the purchase rate, their add to cart and purchase of that product will be very different based on every single size and color combination. And as will the right search terms. So if the, their jeans are black or if they're blue, they're going to be different search terms that are going to match to those. So the first evolution of the product was around a single product bidding the right amount for the product. So for a pair of jeans in a single colorway and a single size. And that was where we started. And that was a real breakthrough for the market because we could suddenly bid different based on margin, based on the performance. So certain sizes would, would perform much, much better than other sizes. So, so we'll be able to get a breakthrough there. But then we realized there was another vector to this. And the other vector was what the customer was typing in before they clicked on the ad. So if someone, um, and we call it purchase intent. So if someone had typed in a very generic term, maybe jeans or denim jeans or men's jeans, it could be any pair of jeans. You know, The likelihood of you clicking and buying a specific pair of jeans from one click from a very broad, very generic, very awareness term, pretty unlikely. However, if you went down and you refined your search, maybe it's Levi's, men's, jeans, maybe a size going in there as well, getting pretty specific. So now we'd be able to pay more for that click because the revenue we'll make from those clicks, so we got 100 clicks on that term, the revenue will be a lot higher than the awareness generic terms. And then if we see purchase terms, these would be model numbers, you know, exact sizes, brands coming in there, um, maybe even collaborations that they've had with, with different fashion labels coming in there in that search term. It's going to be so high. We're going to make so much revenue from that click, even though the product is exactly the same, the awareness term, the consideration, the purchase, the actual profit and revenue generated is much, much more. So our technology breakthrough was, first of all, to bid every item or SKU uniquely. And then secondly, to map that to the actual customer's purchase intent, how likely they are to buy from the search terms they're putting in. And, and those two things are the core evolutions of the product. Yeah, I can't think about how difficult it would be to manage 8,000 SKUs with uh, custom bidding strategies because it's like, yeah, it makes it good. It's just that level of specificity of like you put in the cut and that, yeah, that's just hard to manage for 8,000 unique, unique outcomes. Yeah, it's, it's the, the de- you know, the, the data's really gone beyond what a human can manage, right? And particularly when you think about all the different search terms that can come in there and, and the profit being so different for the, same product from different search terms and different queries that people are typing in. So that's really been the, the core evolution of the business, which has got us to where we are today. And now we're starting to tackle other challenges. So we're just launching a new product, which is in beta right now, which is called Discovery Pages. So right now, when you click on the, on the ads, that would be when our, our job would be done. You know, we paid the right amount. Um, we got the traffic to the customer's website. They converted. They, they spent a certain amount of money. We bring in profit. So we're able to understand, was it? actually profitable rather than just revenue. And that would be where, where our kind of current journey would end. We've got a new product which is just launching, which is called Discovery Pages. So this is a unique journey built for Google Shopping for this marketing channel that we manage, that when they click onto the ad, 
we build a perfect landing page for Google Shopping to improve the conversion rate, the click on the ad, for the sale, um, which is a really exciting product. So now we can start to, to go down deeper into that journey of, um, of, of e-commerce to really affect the next level by, by improving the conversion rate. Is there a size of brand in terms of, you could call it ad spend, in terms of number of products, you could call it like rough revenue ranges where this level of effort is worth it? Like a minimum size brand? Yeah, so I'd say it's um, certainly in the in the low thousands of dollars a month of spend just on Google Shopping. It varies a little bit based on the cost per click or the CPC or PPC costs, pay-per-click costs that the, the, the advertiser's in, which will depend on their their niche or their sector they're in. So um, if they're low competition, they get a lot more clicks for their for their budget. Um, but yeah, the low thousands of dollars would be when this technology can start to have an impact. And uh, and also the, the high hundreds of SKUs. They've only got five products, low ad spend. Really, this is going to be not too critical. But the point we get involved is really around um, when they're, they're looking for growth. The ways they've been doing it to date have gotten to a certain level, but it feels like they've hit a ceiling. They can't grow past that. Um, so then we'll come in. They know they've got the channel working. They've already got a minimum, you know, thousands of dollars going for a month. Maybe, and obviously we work right the way up, way past that into millions and tens of millions a month of, of ad spend. But as an entry point, we can work with, we'll be in the low thousands of dollars and we can help them break through that ceiling of spending more money on the channel, the right return on ad spend, the right profitability where each unit is driving more, it more profit. The other time that we get the call is really when customers are, uh, or, 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 uh, retailers are, are running Google Shopping, but they're just not making the profitability. They're getting sales, they're getting revenue, they're already running the channel, but it's just not profitable. You know, every sale is costing them too much, and that's when we'll we'll get involved and we'll work not on growing their account, actually on growing the profitability of the account with the aim to maintain the spend roughly where it is over time. And then when we get them to profitability, then we can move them to actually be able to grow it because they're growing their profits rather than their, their losses, which they might be when we get involved. What is the significance of Google shopping like relative to the whole e-commerce space? Because, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people hear e-commerce and think Amazon or they think Shopify, or maybe they think just the Google like listings pages, just the, the search engine results page. But what's the actual significance of in terms of market share, just roughly, of Google shopping? Absolutely. So um, so with Google shopping, it's not actually the shopping tab. Um, so when you go to Google, you've got the, the tab which says shopping, which you naturally think it is, which it plays a part in there. But really it's the carousel of adverts which appears on the home page of google every search you do you're gonna see google shopping carousel those typically five tiles that will show the price the product title the image so it's absolutely massive so in terms of growing an e-commerce business you can always think about maturity so um an immature business or an immature e-commerce business is going to use a platform like amazon and um, where they they don't have to think about hosting their own website they don't have to build their own brand they're not interacting and building a customer list Instead, they've just got a product. They can send it to Amazon for Amazon warehousing and they can, and Amazon will, will take care of the rest. They'll put it on the page. They'll, people are shopping within Amazon and they're going to sell through. So we see that as quite immature e-commerce because they've not got the, you know, they've not got the brand ability. They've not got the customer list. The value of those businesses is very low because it's only valued on that week, that month or, or that year of turnover as opposed to future turnover from repeat customers. So, uh, you know, you can build great and people do but very, very successful, very profitable Amazon businesses, but they're not normally really long-term businesses. So then entrepreneurs move on to platforms like Shopify when they, where they've got their own storefront, then their challenge is to drive traffic to that store. 
So how do they do that? They can do it typically through Facebook, Instagram, so paid social or through Google. And the big advantage of Google is that um, if you've got a product that people are actively searching for and they're going to Google, they're searching for that type of product, then you're able to tap into immediate buying intent. People are actively looking for that product. They want to buy it. They want to click and they're going to purchase. And they're the real businesses that we can help. And in terms of a mix within Google, Google is typically the largest channel uh, for, for acquisition. Obviously, there's some outliers where they're very social. They're products that need people to, to discover them. They're not aware of it. Um, so if it's, you know, if there's existing intent, let's say you're selling light bulbs or you're selling well-known fashion brands, then Google will be the main channel. If, however, you're building a new product, which no one knows about, then something like paid social, Instagram, influencers, are likely to be your main channel. And, but over time, as you build the brand, you become recognized, the category you're selling in becomes more dominant, people are going to start going to Google. So you're going to want to capture that demand in Google. And in terms of uh, the volume within Google, it's about 80, so 80% of all e-commerce budgets within, uh, within Google are spent on Google shopping. So it's a massive, massive lion's share. Is, uh, that's, is, a, is, that's a big market. Yeah, yeah, it's it huge. A... Yeah. And, uh, and it's certainly in the, the top one or top two, uh, depending on the type of brand, for where they're getting traffic to their e-commerce store. We could talk all day about, uh, or I could at least talk all day about the actual strategy and the bidding and the keywords and the, the industry. Uh, in terms of your company and more like your role as the entrepreneur rather than the subject matter expert, what do you do day to day with managing this 140 person company? Yeah, yeah, really interesting question. So my roles evolved a lot. So um, now it's all about elevating our team. Um, so we have an executive team in the business. So that's the C-suite. So we've got a CMO for marketing, a CFO for finance, a CRO for revenue, um, CTO for technology, COO for operations. Um, so we've, so it's really that C-suite within the business and they and their functions um, that they then manage their teams downwards. So we've, we uh, integrated OKRs, so objectives and key results. So it's a, kind of a, come from Google as a, as a framework to, uh, to manage effectively. So every quarter we set our key company objectives uh, and those cascade down to the teams. And then it's checking in, uh, checking the pulse on those, uh, pro those company projects and the delivery by the, by the executive teams and their senior leadership teams. So the, that's kind of the, the functional support to make sure that, you know, we're getting that feedback loop both bottom up and also kind of top down in terms of the setting of the strategy and the, uh, the driving of the results there. And we've also recently taken investment. So it's our first investment from a, from a VC fund. So uh, there's some that goes into kind of stakeholder management. So communication is now, as we've grown over the, over the last couple of years, and so we say 140 people, communication is now something we've got to think about. We've got to make sure that people are aware of of the projects, of the new releases, of the the new company objectives that we're setting. Uh, whereas I think we're a much smaller team, people would just get it, they'd hear it, they'd know it was easy to interact with everybody. Now communication needs some planning, it needs some execution behind it. So we have uh, quarterly town halls, which are company wide, and just making sure that we're communicating that message out uh, across the team. Yeah, so they're kind of key key roles really. I know you mentioned this at the beginning. But you said you have three locations as well, like uh, headquarters. Yeah, so we've got yeah we've got two two offices in Leeds, which are directly across the street from each other, in two large mills in Leeds in the UK, and we've got an office in Austin, Texas as well. Yeah, so then that's where you really have to prioritize communication when you have three distinct work locations as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And as we're quite flexible in terms of working, so now you know more and more people are, are working 
less time in the office. There's just that less kind of face-to-face intuition, I guess, which again, I think just means that we've got to focus a little bit more time and a little bit more effort because again, people aren't just learning through through osmosis, through proximity, because you know we've got two people who are fully remote from, for example, engineering. Um, so again, we've just got to uh, got to make sure that they're they're getting getting that fed around that information and the the progress. What's your philosophy been about about remote work? Like, have you kind of just and how's that mature? Like, have you just kind of started with something like this sounds good, or are you like drawing inspiration from a specific company that you think does it well? Yeah, I think it's um, it's just been kind of as we've learned as, as we've learned. So one of the core tenants of our business is for particularly for sales side, we really are open to bringing in people who are new to sales. So we think if they've got the right behaviors, attitudes, you know, we can teach the techniques. So it's, you know, really elevating people who are new to sales, who've got the right approach, and we'll then train them and, and get them into sales, get them into same, and similar roles. You know, people who really have a passion for moving from, say, sales into marketing, we'll bring them in as juniors and we can coach them and upskill them. And I think that's something which is so much easier when you're, when you're in person. You know, they can just shadow somebody. They can hear through osmosis conversations and methodologies and thinking and see people do things. Like whether that's video content, whether that's, uh, you know, whatever it is, editing, people can just learn through that way. So I think, I think it is good and it is key to have for those roles, to have people in, in the office a couple of days a week, flexibility on start times. You know, people can be independent uh, and because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're smart people, they're driven to do the, the right things. But I think having some overlap, she allows us to, allows experienced people to bring up uh, other people to share their skills. So I think it's really important to have connection. Um, then on, in terms of the engineering and the research side, we just hire the best in the market. So we hire very, very talented, very senior, very experienced people. And we really don't, you know, unlike the other departments like sales and marketing um, and, and client services, client success, we're, where we're upskilling people, you know, in, in engineering and research, we're just hiring in the best, best talent. So there, there's much more openness to, to be fully remote and, and have people, you know, fully, fully flexible there. So, but again, they like to, they like to meet up every so often, but, um, yeah, it's, I think it's, that's kind of our approach is we do like to have a little bit of time face to face just because I think it just aids that communication and upskilling of, of the other departments as well. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard this the other day or what the source was, but something like if it's someone's first job, don't hire them remote because they need to like learn, (laughs) they need to learn how to like have a job and what the expectations are and effort levels and commitments and all the stuff. But if someone's like, I've been doing this for 20 years, I'm the best in the world at this. Don't bother me. I'm going to deliver exceptional stuff. It's like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do your thing. Yeah. And I do wonder what the impact will be of so many companies now going remote because I think it's fine for, for ourselves, pretty established in our careers and other people around us. But I think, you know, the people who are just coming out of university or maybe not even going to university at all because, you know, there's, they, they can learn things online. They can learn things through through work and through work programs when those offices very infrequently have the senior people, have the experienced people in the office or have no office at all. They're fully remote. I think that's going to be, I think, you know, over, over time, people are going to start to realize that it's, it's almost uh, the ladders being pulled up. You know, the people who are, who are coming out of the universities are going to have a much harder time, a much slower time to upskill to the level that, um, that other, other seniors are because they're not going to get the training. They're not going to get the support without asking for it. And when they're asking for it, you know, People are trading time, you know, experienced team are taking time away from, from what they're doing rather than just showing somebody on, you know, whilst they're working, oh, check this out. And just that learning through, through, through osmosis, through being around people, 
um, which I think has really unearthed some amazing talent in our business, which has then become gone, gone on to become senior. That's so cool. One thing we completely skipped is actually acquiring, you know, your first customers and taking this from what you're doing for your own brand to having other people want to use it, whether that was just inbound or, or whatever. But speak to getting those first customers once the internal product kind of became the internal tool became sophisticated enough to like show other people or was it already just people were not coming out the door just when they heard what you were doing? Yeah, so we were actually quite fortunate. That our um, It was kind of driven by a couple of our, our angel investors that, that got involved in the company. So Mario Mayer from, from Booking.com, Chris Forrest from Netta Porter, and they had had portfolios of investments they'd made. And, and a lot of them were e-commerce, obviously both big backgrounds in e-commerce uh, and big names in the industry. And, and they were, they said, look, these, couldn't you help these companies? So there was the first, I think, two or three customers were in their network and they said, can you help them? And, and we met up with them and kind of got, felt like we've got our arms a little bit twisted into it. I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's see what we can do. And we were kind of very low expectations, you know, focused on our own thing. We thought, well, okay, we can just plug it in and, and you know, we can, do, do these things quite easily. So, so we just did them not really uh, intentionally. And then the results were just huge hockey stick, you know, companies that would never been profitable. We just, you know, literally turned around and got profitability. And by hitting profitability, we could then start to un could lift that ceiling, spending more and more and then growing their business. And after seeing that two or three times, we're like, okay, wow, this is actually let's pause for a minute, you know? And also I think seeing the recurring revenue nature of software as a service. So particularly for me in e-commerce, you have the, the boom, Q4, the festive period, huge revenues, and then January comes and it just slumps and you're like, okay, this is the, you know, this is the market. We've got to wait for and start planning for, for Q4 for, for the festive period next year. So it's quite, you know, whereas with, with SaaS, it's like you, you land two customers and you get X, X amount in revenue and it's just incremental. You add another two, suddenly you're at four, then you add another two at six. It's just like just builds and, you know, month on month, quarter on quarter. Um, building that growth, so um, so that's how we won the initial initial customers, and then we started to to go out to market. So um, there was uh, we did really through outbound, through LinkedIn, through email, and through cold calling as well. So just reaching out to relevant uh, businesses that had the same uh, DNA or ICP ideal customer fit profile. I said a lot of lots of SKUs. As we work with a lot of e-commerce marketplaces because that's where our technology was born. It was born with this massive amount of products. So uh, naturally, we end up working with and, and work with a lot of, of marketplaces, a lot of multi, uh, multi-brand multi stores, so stockists of you know fashion, of, uh, of all kinds of, uh, of verticals. And yeah, we just went out with the emails. We, um, by not knowing sales ourselves, we, we actually kind of uh, taught ourselves. So we thought, how would we like to have it? So rather than a sales pitch, it was a, a real deep dive into the accounts seeing what, what retailers were doing, what was working, what wasn't, what the opportunities and strategies were to unlock that. And by just not knowing how well people sold, we came up with our own approach, which was very data-driven, which was linking into AdWords accounts, seeing the data, pulling that data, creating a presentation which, um, which communicated our messaging and our approach, but pro- proved it with their data. So then it just became a really clear and simple choice to be like, actually, I'd not got to believe you because you've shown it with our data. We can see that um, the search terms, as they get longer, more detailed, more descriptive, then they're driving more revenue, they're driving more profit. Actually, we're not showing up for those. We've got low visibility of those. We're buying terms that have a very low relevancy and wasting budget there that, we're, that we can't do bidding granularly. Um, so we're bidding prof- products which have 
different product margins or profit margins um, the same, but on the same target, but some are 40% profit and some are just 10% because they're on sale. So just highlighting these these logical steps that have just been over uh, missed due to the best practices of Google Shopping um, was really kind of very impactful. So so that's what we did was just, uh, we just grew that from, from a base. We did, you know, more emails. We built more and more case studies. We've now got over 50 plus case studies on the website. Each one, you know, referencing uh, very transparently that the customer's name, their logo, the, the decision maker's name and job position, the impact of the results, the time period, if it's year over year, month over month, um, very, very clear what the metrics percentage growth was. And again, the clarity that what we'd like to see, who have you worked with? Who are they? You know, um, and then the other part has been, um, evangelism. So we've been really, really fortunate to get early evangelism from customers who've just gone out ab- above and beyond and out of their way to, to evangelize our company. So a couple of examples of that is, um, the, the CEO Sunil from Garmentry. So Garmentry is a very large uh, e-commerce marketplace in, in luxury fashion, um, hundreds, if not thousands of boutiques uh, on their platform. And the first event we did in the US, being a UK company going out to the US, was Etail West. And, and Sunil uh, came down and, and really uh, promoted the business. And, he, and he's done that many times. And, and as that customer list has, has grown, we've got other, other um, we'll brand ambassadors who are doing this for us, who are clients. So um, yeah, the team at Keelan Herschel Supply Company and many, many other brands. So I think tapping into that passion of people who are knowledgeable, who've built great brands, but are actually really evangelists as customers just gives us that credibility as well, which is through the case studies, but also through you know having these people, these events um, in person is, is super powerful as well. And then, and then just scaling it as well and not giving up. And I think that's uh, it's easy to, you know, to do something not long enough and say, oh, it doesn't work, but maybe you, just, you need to, you know, you need to persevere with these things, improve the systems, improve the way you do things, improve the technologies, and uh, and I'm sure you'll get the results you want. Has, I have a lot of questions I could ask based on that. Has anyone, including yourselves, thought about, or is there something that exists that's kind of the copycat for Amazon or for another similar environments? Yeah, so there's... um there is other Amazon, so Amazon now has its own ads in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say copycat because um, there's a lot. I guess in terms of bidding strategy. Yeah, but yeah. There, there is there is tools out there for Amazon. It's something that we've looked at, but we decided not not to go into. Um, and that kind of twofold. One is the simplicity of Amazon versus Google is massively more simple to do Amazon because you've not got all the complexities you have with Google, which is you know so many different variables on the from the device to the location to the time of day, to the search term, to the product, to the, all these you know, very, very different um, environments in terms of data and complexity. Uh, and also um, the types of merchants as well, that typically big brands want to come off Amazon. They want to go direct to customer. They want to have that relationship that experience. They want to focus on the, the winning a customer, but actually the, the lifetime, uh, customer lifetime value and journey as well that builds the brand. So um, for that reason, we've, we've focused on that market of, of direct to consumer brands and, and, you know, effectively the Shopify type stores, uh, they're a big focus for us rather than, um, going into Amazon, but I'm sure there's some great technologies. I know Amazon ads is growing still tiny compared to Google, uh, but it is really growing year on year and it's becoming a really big, uh, big platform in itself. Back to the, the sales questions. So, and I want to, I don't know, I kind of maybe messed up the sequencing of these questions for what made more sense logically, but. In terms of structuring that, do you 
frame it to it? Did you frame it to a brand as like, because you're not necessarily certain from the outset, this is a problem I've been running into, if they're doing something correctly, like you have to get under the hood to be able to yeah. tell them if what you're going to do is actually helpful or not. Because maybe you just like stumble into another brand who happens to have, right, the uh, the math guys on the team and they, they're like, we already know all this stuff, we're math guys, we already thought about this. But like, you, you just don't know from publicly available data. It's like one thing, you know, I've been trying to sell is like Facebook and the conversion API configuration, right? Post iOS 14, ad attribution is very difficult. If someone doesn't have the server-side tracking installed, you know, they're missing out on these opportunities. But I haven't found a way to like go to a website and check. I mean, obviously it can disqualify some customers. Like if there's something like Elevar installed, then they probably have it. But yeah. if they have a custom implementation, there's just no way of knowing. Unless you, I asked, you know, ChatGPT to try to figure this out as well. Like I've really been yeah. trying to solve this problem. Yeah. And what we came up with was like, well, if you could hack into their network traffic, you can, if you could like, if you could install something on their router at their head co- company's headquarters, then you could see receiving that web traffic and see if it goes to Facebook before it goes. I'm like, okay, it can't be done. <laughs> it was the conclusion. So yeah. how did you overcome that in terms of like sales messaging was like saying, hey, we might be able to help you. Can we take a meeting? Yeah. Because that's exactly. not like high enough excitement to break through the noise with a lot of cold outreach. Yeah, exactly. I think the I think the, the real powerful thing is is this ICP, this ideal customer profile. So don't try and sell to your solution to everybody zone in and just go into that that small quadrant that you think is the ideal customer, your perfect customers. So for us, um, we could look at things like technology on the e-commerce store. So they're on Shopify. Um, we could also, um, and in the early days, what we did was just looking at who's coming up on the carousel. So we can run searches, we can run queries, just like a shopper would. And we see who comes up on the carousel. And we know in that moment, if they're product terms, but like your, your jeans example, blue jeans, and then they're going to come up and we're going to see, okay, who are, who are the advertisers selling Levi's jeans, for example? And from there, we've got the links directly through to the retailers. So when we contact them, we know that they're active on Google Shopping. So we know that they're spending money on this channel. Point we don't know how much they're spending, but we can get a feel from the website if it's, you know, and, and the other maybe technologies they're investing in. Are they a, a very basic Shopify store or, or a very basic store with no, no advanced customization? Or, or is the store really, really quick to load? Has it got some great other technologies on there? In which case, you know, for them to be investing in those technologies, they must have a significant turnover, significant revenue. And we know that Google Shopping will be a big piece of, again, the number of products they've got uh, is pretty useful as well, because the more products they've got, the more they're going to have this problem as well. So we went into, for example, niches like fashion, which naturally has lots of sizes, colors. Today is still our largest category, uh, fashion fashion and accessories. So that really allowed us to, to niche down that meant that when we contacted people, we knew they were active on Google Shopping. We didn't know how well they were doing it, but that's what we had to find out. And then it was using some sales training that we, we kind of brought in, which was around, uh, it's a global franchise, Sandler um, sales uh, selling, and it's a, a, a methodology of selling. So the point is to try to sell to pain. So do they have a pain? Is there a challenge? If there's not, that's absolutely fine. You know, you're never going to help someone who doesn't have a problem. That's, that's great. Good, they've not got a problem. But just by opening with, and knowing this market so well, we were able to, to get, get replies, get traction. And then by, by saying, we'll do the, the audit. If, we're, if when we access the account, we see there's no, no, no opportunity. We won't even waste your time. We'll just tell you, hey, look, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. You know, there's nothing we can help you with. Uh, if there is, then we'll, we'll do a, uh, we'll do a, a, this free audit. So we'll invest lots upfront in, in our sales process. We'll analyze massive amounts of data. 
We'll, we'll understand the search terms, the performance, the structure, and we'll take all that up as a hit, but we'll invest in the relationship. And hey, you can, there's no pressure. You can have that for free, you know? And normally that would cost them either a huge amount of man hours you know, and, and massive expertise, which they probably don't have that amount of time or, or that ability in-house, or it's going to cost them someone who would come in and it would be a consultancy piece. They would do that as a consultancy project for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, and we're giving that to them for free. But we're also able to highlight the gap by creating them, making them really aware of the, the game that they're playing, the, where they're benchmarked against their competitors, opportunities within their exact account with their exact data. We can create a gap, which is where they are today, where they want to be, and we can prove through case studies and results how we've closed that gap and through our technology and our approach to allow us to close that gap. So um, that's been a really impactful way. And then in terms of, um, of getting on the radar, He's, a, he's pretty repetitive, you know, you've got to have the, you know, you've got to persevere. You've got to send those relevant, targeted, personal LinkedIn messages, emails. You've got to invest the time into those emails, making them useful uh, to people and also doing the research to make sure they are active on Google Shopping. They are likely to have the problems. And then it's just um, challenge fit, basically. Does, does our message fit the market? Does it create, the, do they have a pain and are they interested? And, um, and yeah, fortunately for us, it's been, very, very targeted market that we've been able to go after, which isn't the case for all, all technologies and all businesses. Yeah. While you're talking there, I was realizing, I think for me, the, the difficulty is literally just, I just need to hire someone to do, be my SDR. And I can just tell them all, like I have all the, I have like a series of personas that I know yep. would work to like yep. accept audits. Cause it's like, for example, click like Shopify plus LFR pretty yep. well solves the problem fairly well. Yeah. But for ClickFunnels, for example, and for like WooCommerce and for these like yep. other third tier or second and third tier e-commerce solutions, like yep. there's not really like way fewer of them have actually gone in and solved this problem. Yeah. So I just need to like, you know, pay for like just suck them up and pay for built with and yep. build, get a list of ClickFunnels stores that also and like come up with a couple of other tools that are also yep. good indicators. Uh, and the same thing for Google Analytics 4. That one except you can do on the front end. So yep. I just know this is, this is like a, for me in my journey, it's about hiring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's about, yeah. it's about, and I just get, I just don't have time to do it, but I know it needs to be done in this domain because I've proven it. Yeah. Best person to start is yourself as well. So in the early days, that's what I did. You know, I, I did that role. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, with, with some of the great people started to iterate the, 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 the methods, the way we did things and kind of by, by going through that selling journey, I was able to actually really understand customers' pains. And what I perceive were pains which weren't and, and ones which I maybe didn't see which really were. So I think it is important to rather than outsource it or insource it, hire somebody and delegate it to them too early, be really close to that person and, uh, you know, and really lead it. Because otherwise you might say, oh, maybe that's not very good. How do you know that they're doing it well? Maybe they're not picking up on the signals. And, you know, you could have a one, one or two failed sales reps that you hire early that then mean you think, oh, it doesn't work. Whereas I think if you go through it, you take, you know, founder driven time early on, you'll start to see it working. And then you can, once you've got it working a few times, once you're getting demos, you're closing demos, you're winning customers, all that is time intensive. You just can craft out that time and then you can start to really then hit, give, give someone the, the cookbook. You can say, this is what you've got to do. You've got to do it in this way, in this structure, using this data at this time. And then, uh, and then they can, they can start cranking the levers to, to start generating that demand. And, um, yeah, and then you can, then you can move on and free yourself up. We're in the middle or, or somewhere in that, in, in that spectrum right now. It's, it's really fun. 
Uh, tell me the first business you started. Yeah. So the first business I got into, into business pretty early and it was actually an e-commerce even earlier, even earlier as well. So my first business was uh, called Cheap Auctions. So auctions are like, uh, yeah, like sales, sales here. So we had, uh, we had a store, me and a friend from, from school where we would go around all the, uh, all the bars and pubs, uh, in, in our, in our town. Uh, although we we're far too young to be able to drink, we we're about maybe 12 or 14 years old uh, and we'd get all the merchandise. So this was when, um, you know, b- uh, beer paraphernalia was really cool in the UK. So Budweiser t-shirts, Heineken caps, all this kind of stuff. Uh, we're just being, you know, we were sent to pubs and because it's an old man town where we grew up, a lot of old people, there'd be no wild parties. They wouldn't be throwing out t-shirts, but they'd still be getting this sent this stuff from the brewery. So it was effectively years and years and years of merchandise that was sent and stored in, in all the pubs around where we grew up, which was zero value to them. It was just taking space, but getting them from the brewery. So you're just storing it away there. So we went to the different landlords that owned the pubs and we said, Hey, why don't we sell this stuff for you? You know, and, uh, and that's what we did. So they said, okay, if you can sell it, we'll take half the money. We'll share it with you. And that's what we did. So we launched an e-commerce store. We did Google ads when it was literally a cent to click for really expensive terms <laughs> like today. Amazing, uh, amazing, literally amazing opportunity back then. There was no, it was before eBay, before Amazon in the UK. There was a marketplace called QXL, which was the large marketplace at the time. So we'd list this inventory onto QXL, which was the, the big player at the time, pre-Amazon, and, and start selling through there. And, and we get all, and then as, as time went by onto, onto eBay, as that grew, and, and through our own website as well. And uh, yeah, so it was a real introduction to e-commerce and uh, yeah, made enough to, to quit the paper rounds I was doing at the time before that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it was quite a good win at 12 years old. And that was really the, the introduction to e-commerce. I think we, my, me and my friend, uh, we look back and think it was great that we did that. And, you know, we made, we made thousands of thousands of dollars, which felt, felt like millions uh, at that age. We were very, very, very affluent at the time from, from doing this. Um, but really when you look back at the nascency of, of e-commerce and what we could have built, you know, if we hadn't have just you know, <laughs> taken any <laughs> of the 12 years old. Oh, exactly. If we, you know, if we'd gone and knocked on an office furniture store, for example, uh, and then started selling office furniture, we probably would have been able to build mm. one of the, the biggest e-commerce businesses in that niche because there was so little e-commerce at the time, but instead we, 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 we settled for, for beer. <laughs> it was cool at the time, but uh, <laughs> maybe not as, as, uh, as successful as we could have been, but a great stepping stone in, been in any e-commerce from the, the selling side uh, for, a, for a long time, for my whole career, building different e-commerce marketplaces um, of different scales as well. Uh, and now on the, the um, SaaS software as a service space, servicing e-commerce merchants. So. I feel like something pretty similar right now is kind of a lot of the generative AI conversation in terms yeah. of like, are there just these really crazy low-hanging fruit opportunities right now to be captured? Has anything really substantial shifted in your business in like this last kind of like six to 12 months of hyper acceleration in terms of like the sophistication of the publicly available tools? Yeah, I think the, I think there's a massive opportunity for, from them all. I think the adoption is still quite low, if that makes sense. I think there's, um, there's a lot of companies out there who've built proprietary systems that now are just, you know, can literally be replaced by ChatJupyter, these generative AI yeah. kind of tools where you can almost extract information that was very complex and difficult uh, to do before fortunately we're in a space where it's much more complex um in terms of the the, the levers that need to be pulled and the, the engineering that needs to go into those products um so so how we see it is really an acceleration of tool of of of, of small um small components that can unlock small gains but but brought together at scale so what would have taken a long time to to make a, a three or five percent improvement 
can now be done almost instantly. And also the embedding of these tools into existing platforms. So a good example is Shopify. They now have um, tag-driven product descriptions. So you can throw in some tags, some keywords. It understands what the product is from the title and stuff. And it will rewrite or, or write out a, uh, a written description for you then to edit and, and build on. And that is really exciting because yeah, that is generative AI. It's written AI. It's fed in by the merchant to, or the operator to, to improve their descriptions. And suddenly you can see how for very low quality kind of uh, descriptions, they can start to move up and be improved. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of wins in these you know, incremental gains, and they're getting Im- embedded into platforms which is like Shopify. So I think that's a really exciting uh, exciting trend we're seeing uh, in terms of massive leaps forward. I think not yet, but it'll be coming. I think they're just too early to yet be be commercialized. But I'm, I'm with, but I think in the coming even months, I think we're going to start to see yeah. see that. And I was just uh, just chatting with a friend, and I think the challenge will be. How, how there might be entrepreneurs who build things, which from the outset, it looks like you have, you know, can do X or Y. Actually, is it robust? You know, does it have yeah. an uptime guarantee? Has it, have they coded it by, they can't code. They just ask chat Jupiter to write bits of code, which, uh, you know, <laughs> you showed it to any engineer. They just, they'd laugh. They go, oh, this is terrible. You know, you've not thought about this. You've not thought about that. There's so many loopholes in, in there, you know, in that. But I think there's going to be, your, you know, entrepreneurs who are going to, bring to market things, which when, when you look at it as a user, it gives you the output, but it's not going to be very robust or it's not going to be very well engineered. It's not going to be very lightweight. Uh, so I think there's, there's going to be this kind of, this trade-off, I think. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited by the space and we're using it a lot is it for internal workflows and, and all kinds of different things. So yeah, massive opportunity for, for em- embracing it. Yeah, that's the uh, thing that's been on my mind is just, am I using it to be selling like, you know, like the things like t- uh, product descriptions or summarizing a podcast based on a transcript, like all these kind of like very, they're super, again, internal workflow optimization. It's tremendously helpful. But is that like the equivalency of like right now using it to sell like uh, t-shirts instead of, furniture? you know what I'm saying? Like, is it like the really obvious, simple opportunity that's top of mind based on what I do, but it's like not the exciting use of the tool that's like the big. So that's what I've been trying to like think strategically about. Yes. Yeah. I to- totally agree with you. I don't have the answer for that, obviously. Yeah. Just yeah. a point of conversation. What are, what do you say, like, and then we can wrap up here in a minute, like primary, like, hob- I don't really have a sense of like what else you do besides uh, the business, like some primary hobbies or other non-e-commerce passions. Yeah, exactly. So, so me and my co-founder actually met through fencing, the sport. So uh, swords, all that kind of gear. So yeah, do, um, yeah, do, do fencing. It was it's always been a big part of my life. I, I do running as well. So I did my first marathon the end of last year. So enjoy, enjoy going out for runs almost like meditative you just get out you can you know get your mind going thinking through things and I, i've taken up squash so the last couple of years i've been playing squash um which is yeah great game as well so um yeah in my apartment just redid the racquetball court which is very similar to squash obviously they just redid it and put a golf simulator in instead so i'm kind of disappointed about that because I, I i love the uh i love the racket sports better yeah 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 there's a there's a place near our office here that had um they've put spin bikes in and it's like what there's a squash court gone you know but yeah i think it, we're, we're quite fortunate where i live that there's you know, there's four courts i'm a member so it's you know it's easy to book and, and get it in there and again it's just fun yeah you know, i love physical sports um i think yeah a lot of, a lot of fun and I, i've got two boys as well so they're uh, always a handful as well with the family so uh yeah that's fun well liam i think this has been a really great conversation thank you so much 
who should be reading about you or Bidnamic or what are the best kind of calls to action for someone who's listened the whole way through and wants to keep going? Yeah, sure. So we've got uh, Bidnamic.com, uh, B-I-D-N-A-M-I-C.com. So that's the, the website. They can find loads more information around Google Shopping, around the technologies and the approaches that we've, we've built out and established. Um, so yeah, go there. You can also book a call if that's of interest with one of the team. Uh, or you can get in touch with myself. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So uh, Liam Patterson on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah, real, real pleasure. Thanks.